Welcome to Beyond Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Petralis, and we are super excited for our guest today. I got a couple of shout outs to give before we get to our guest. One, I want to give a shout out to the Matinon girls hockey team. Uh, they had a tough loss Saturday in the CCL championship, um, but a tremendous season. They were they were 12 and 0 prior to that game, and uh, they still finished, you know, top Division Two, uh, number one team in Division Two, and they played in a league that's predominantly Division One. So big props and shout out to them. And I also want to give a shout out to my man Armando Velez uh, from Man Two Media out of New Jersey. Man, he put some really good um, music together for the show. I'm hoping to have it on this week, if not next week. If I could figure out the technology, um, and you know, super excited. If you guys are looking for good quality work. Um, Amando's your man. Um, you know, again, man to media, man, the number two media at gmail.com. So we're super excited um, about what he's put together for the show. Um, but back to our guest. Um, I am super excited about our guest today. Uh, this is somebody who I was able to lock in a couple months ago was, you know, very excited about being on here and really telling her story. Um, and, and an awesome story at that. I think this is going to be a really exciting episode, a lot of fun. We're going to talk a lot about great things. And, you know, I think we really have a great uh, role model on here. So um, again, from the PWHPA, uh, the Professional Women's Hockey Player Association, um, you know, also played local hockey around here at Northeastern University. Super excited. You know, she's going to be playing at the Madison Square Garden on Sunday. So it's going to be an awesome time. Uh, NHL Network, we'll talk more about that. Uh, but somebody who just thinks, I, I think has a tremendous story to tell and someone who, you know, is definitely a role model for young ho girl hockey players out there. Uh, so without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Chelsea Goldberg. Thank you so much, Anthony. So excited yeah. to be here. Yeah, it's awesome. We're, we're super excited. And, uh, you know, I did my homework on you and, and it's pretty impressive. And I think you have a really great story to tell. So um, typically I have coaches on here. So you're, you're actually really the first player um, that I've had on here. So it's going to be cool kind of hearing it from the other perspective a little bit and, and talking about your playing career. So I'm excited. Uh, well, I mean, I've, I've coached some summer camps, so I guess I can be classified as a coach too. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll put that in quotations or we'll put that in hyphens or whatever to, to, to qualify it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but as I said, I think we have a, you know, a tremendous story to tell today. So, you know, you're from Cali, you're a twin, uh, uh, you have a brother. I have twins, a baby boy and baby girl. So that was kind of my first attraction there. Like, okay, let's let's listen to this story a little bit um and you're out in cali and and you guys got into hockey so you know when i think of california hockey's not the first sport that really comes to mind so talk a little bit about your, your start into hockey how you fell in love with it and, and really got into it well yeah kind of like you said hockey's not the number one sport you think of from california so same thing like my twin brother and i we had no idea what hockey was until uh, a couple of our best friends growing up got a pair of rollerblades one day. And so my brother and I looked at our parents and were like, wait, if they got rollerblades, we think we should get rollerblades too. So we actually got a pair of rollerblades ourselves. And we all just together as a group, um, I usually hung out with the guys, obviously, with my twin brother. But we all decided to play roller hockey. And we loved it. We absolutely loved it. So from there, you know, it got – up to 118 degrees outside in the Southern California heat. And it just really wasn't realistic or safe at that point. And so we kind of entertained the idea of switching over to ice hockey. But again, growing up, I was a lacrosse player, soccer player, um, uh, swam. So, you know, all the California sports, nothing, nothing related to hockey at all. Family had no hockey history. But uh, we loved roller hockey, so we eventually moved to ice hockey. 
And still, we didn't take it serious until some of our coaches growing up told my brother and I, you know, you guys should really pursue college hockey. You have what it takes. And so ever since then, um, huge thanks to our coaches for kind of pushing us to that next level and kind of getting the idea in our minds about pursuing college sports. That's, that's awesome. And, and it's just funny listening to your California hockey story. You know, I think of like Mighty Ducks 2, the kid who shot the knuckle puck. Like that's the only LA hockey player I've ever heard of from, from, from the young kid perspective. So it's just, it's always funny to, and that's awesome how you got your star for sure. So I know that you end up moving to the East Coast to play hockey here. So I have a two-part question for you. Uh, you know, part one would be, when did you maybe kind of realize that, you were a pretty good hockey player and that maybe moving to the East coast was a better option for you. And then on the flip side of that, being a young girl going out and moving across the country and leaving everything that, you know, a little bit to kind of pursue something that you're passionate about. I mean, that can't be easy. So I'm just very curious in the decision-making and, and that whole process to move to the East coast. Those are great questions. And especially for, I guess, young girls that um, grow up playing boys hockey, like myself, there weren't really many options for me, um, especially when I did realize I had the potential to pursue um, collegiate women's hockey. So at that point, I had grown up playing with the boys, and we got to, I think, the 16 age level, and I had gotten a concussion. So at that point, I was like, okay, maybe it's time to switch over to girls hockey. And also, in addition to that, there was no really opportunity for me to get seen playing boys hockey. So I had to switch over to girls hockey in order to get seen um, to, to pursue that college scholarship if that's really what my goal was, and it was at the time. So I decided from that concussion and then the decision to pursue college sports that I was going to switch over to girls hockey. And so I switched over to girls hockey. I played a little bit out in California, and – one of my teammates actually went to a camp on the East Coast, and she was like, Chelsea, you got to go to this camp. Um, college, college coaches are there, and the coaches of this team are awesome. I think you would love it. So I reached out to those coaches, and those coaches happened to be the North American Hockey Academy coaches um, out in Stowe, Vermont. And I just said, hey, I'm from Southern California. I'm looking to get into girls hockey and – and hope to live up my dreams of playing college hockey. And they actually wrote back to me fairly quickly. And they were like, yeah, we actually have one more spot left on our Naha White team, which was the older team at the time. Um, and we'd love for you to have it. So I was like, wow. You know, like I just got the opportunity to, I guess, sign with a new team out in Vermont. Um, but I had already signed with a team in California. So now the decision was, all right, so now I'm about to make the switch from boys hockey to girls hockey and from California to Vermont. So two really, really big decisions in my life. Right. Um, talked through with my parents and I was like, Hey, and I was 16 at the time, I believe talked with my parents and I was like, Hey, listen, if, if this is really what's going to happen and, and I want to live out my dreams of playing college hockey, I'm going to get seen playing in Vermont and I'm going to get that college scholarship. I was really determined and, they knew how determined I was. So um, as a family, we made the decision that it was the right call to, for me to move to Vermont for my junior and senior year of high school to play at this elite level. And it was actually one of the best decisions of my life. 
at the same time, um, it was, it was hard. It was an adjustment. Change is always, change is new. Change can be difficult, but I embraced change. And so I think I thrived with that decision and it made me mature and grow up a lot quicker than I thought I would. And that's actually where my whole journey started. Um, as far as my adversity and the rest of my hockey career. So it was the best I've made. And, and, and yeah, you know, and I can't wait to kind of sink our teeth into that a little bit because to hear you say that, like at such a young age, you would determine, and this is what I want. And this is what I know. I mean, that's kind of like the story of your life. Like you are a very determined person and you are a very motivated person and you're passionate. And that's, I feel like what we're going to be talking about. So to hear that you were like that at a young age is, is really cool. So you move out to the East coast, you make that decision. Um, I mean, this area in New England in general, hockey's huge, right? So how quickly were you getting noticed as a player at that level? And what type of schools? I mean, I know we're going to talk about you at Northeastern, but I mean, my guess, you know, BU, maybe Harvard, um, maybe UNH, Vermont. I mean, I think of these schools just off the top of my head. I mean, what type of schools were taking a look at you and how quickly were they taking a look at you? Um, yeah, so... I, at the time, I was super overwhelmed because I knew that I had potential and I altered my lifestyle in order to pursue my goals of, of playing college hockey. So what I mean by that is I really, I really focused on my, my training off the ice as well and my health off the ice as well. So I stuck to a really strict diet regime um, and I trained full-time, like it was a full-time job on the side of school at the time, obviously. And I think a lot of players growing up in, in, in similar situations, they'll say that their social lives were different. They didn't really have the social lives of, like, your typical high school um, student or student athlete. I, my life revolved around hockey at the time because I knew I was determined to – get that college scholarship and so um when I got to Vermont it was like all right hockey 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 and that's what I was there for so I talked to my coaches right off the bat and I was like what are we working with and they were like no what are you what are you interested in you know this is gonna be the next four years of your life some of the best years of your life and so um I knew that I was interested in playing college hockey in Boston and the reason I knew that is because throughout my experience of playing on the east coast I loved Boston as a city and I thought it was just like they always say as cliche as it is you'll know when it's right you'll know what school is right by the feeling you get when you step on campus by the feeling you get when you're in the city yeah and I loved Boston so very different from California, but similar in ways as well. We're on the, we're on a coast, right? So coast to coast. But so I knew at that point I wanted to pursue a college that was in Boston. Um, I was getting looks from a lot of hockey East schools, a lot of schools from across the country. Um, Minnesota Duluth was one of my first schools that it was a mutual interest and flew out to visit and whatnot. But as a California girl, I just couldn't do with the cold. So that I knew that. Um, obviously, Boston's not much different with the weather, but a little better. At seasonal. At least it's seasonal. <laughs> a little better. Yeah. Um, so then after a few more uh, visits with the coaches from BU and Harvard and BC, I 
I, I visited Vermont. I visited New Hampshire. I visited the majority of the schools on the East Coast um, with the coaches and got a feel for, for the players, the coaches, the campus, the, the town, the city it was in, etc. And when it came down to it, I loved the feeling of Harvard. I really enjoyed Harvard, and I, I loved BC. BU is a great school, but it was very city for me. Um, I wanted more of like a campusy feel, I think. And so Harvard was probably my number one at the time. BC, not too far behind, and then Northeastern. Um, that, those, that was the lineup within Boston. Obviously, I had to have backup because in case those didn't work out as well. Um, so then it was, you know, UNH, um, Minnesota was still up there, but I really pursued those three Boston schools and the situation was with Harvard, um, the testing, right? So it was something about, I would need to wait for my test scores before I would know if I got into the school or something like that when oh, I had yeah. other, <laughs> other scholarships on the line. So it was a good problem to have at the yeah. end of the day. But still, I mean, if that's your number one, and I love the coach, I love the locker room, love the facilities, love the campus. So I kind of had to make that decision to maybe pursue the scholarship because I wasn't sure if I was going to get the financial aid I needed uh, while waiting for my test scores, if that makes sense. So Ivy League is a little bit different um, animal that you're working with. But so then it came down to BC and Northeastern, and BC had offered the scholarship to another player and I was the next in line. So depending on what that player had decided, if she wanted to commit to BC or not, then it, the scholarship would have been mine, but that player decided to commit to BC. So um, Northeastern had offered me a scholarship and you know what? I, I love the campus. I love Matthews arena is an amazing arena for all of those that have, been inside or played in Matthews it's it's incredible just the feeling the atmosphere so um I knew I I was in really good hands at Northeastern and I love the feel we have a mini campus within the city and obviously it's a great school we have the co-op program that I took advantage of which I'm very grateful I was able to and um it was it was the best decision I could have made for sure and that's awesome. I mean, and like you said, you had a bunch of pro like good problems to have, you know, you have a lot of schools that are interested in you scholarship wise, you know, free academics. I mean, being able to grow as a person, especially in this area of Boston, I mean, you couldn't have really probably gone all you know wrong with any of them. I mean, Harvard is, I mean, Harvard is elite, you know, so um, that's really cool. Um, and this is where I think your story picks up a little bit, right? And this is kind of what, I mean, we talked about just a few minutes ago with, you know, the theme that we're going to come across today but you know once you kind of made that commitment to northeastern you had a i mean a little bit as an understatement but you had a little bit of bad luck over the next few years with injuries that resulted in you missing season after season after season um and i and and when i you know i, I was kind of pr you a little bit i kept you know coming back to the mentally tough aspect of you and i think what you went through in these four years you know hearing your story there's not a lot of professional athletes out there that are as mentally tough as you and i think you need to give yourself a lot of credit for that so you know I'm going to kind of give you the stage a little bit to talk about the next four years of your career once you really chose Northeastern's the spot for me um, you know what kind of went on in your career a little bit yeah no I appreciate that um, so the next four years of my life were the hardest years of my life and here's why 
Um, I ended up breaking both my legs at Naha. So I'd committed to Northeastern, right? So that was a goal of mine, and I felt like I had accomplished that goal. Um, at, at the time, I was in and out of the um, national development program. And so I knew that I had bigger goals to reach, and, and that was to be a part of the USA team. And so I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what that looked like, but I was ready to embrace the journey and, and see where that took me. So uh, long story short, I broke one leg, my, my, left, my right fibula my junior year of high school at Naha. Um, I got tripped on a breakaway mid-game, and – feet first in the boards, snap back. I knew instantly it was broken. I was out for six months. And that was really the first time that I had faced adversity in my career, I would say. Uh, everything was pretty smooth sailing and I was definitely lucky along the way. And then I got hit with that. So I was like, okay, this is an adjustment, but you know what? Like six months later, I, I got back in the weight room and I worked out even harder, trained harder and faster. And I was back. I recovered fully, went back my senior year of North American Hockey Academy, and almost a year to the day, I broke the left fibula, and that was just fluky. I locked knee. I locked knees with another player's knees, and my foot planted in the ice, but my leg spun, so that one actually broke in four places, and it was pretty bad break, so they had to go in for almost immediate surgery on that one, and I had five screws, five or six screws and a plate put in. And so again, I, I again had to call my coach at Northeastern, right? And I was like, hey, you're not gonna believe it, but I actually broke the same bone but on the other on the other leg now. And he was like what now what goes through your mind here? I mean, just out, you know, out of curiosity, here you are recovering from a tough injury and now you have an injury, obviously you have immediate surgery, you kinda of wake up here you are in this giant cast and being told what happened and what's going on. I mean, what's going through your mind there? Like, oh my goodness. Um, so to be quite honest, I feel like I don't know what was going through my mind because at the time I do know that I tried to stand up and I tried to get back, you know, back at it. And I just fell. So uh, clearly my leg was broken. I, I couldn't skate. So my teammates got me off the ice and I was like, okay, maybe it's a bad, like, I don't know, sprain or bone bruise, whatever it could have been other than a broken leg and um, took my skate off and my ankle was already the size of like a balloon. So it didn't look right. It didn't feel right. Um, my parents are across the country, right? I already went through this one time and I'm like, oh man. So I try to keep a positive outlook with the majority of things in my life. And, and I was like, I don't know what it is until I get an x-ray, right? So um, one of my best friends on the team, her parents and I got really close just because I would go to Thanksgiving at um, for Thanksgiving at her house in Vermont and um, very, very good people and uh, became very close with them. So her parents actually were at the game in Connecticut at the time, took me to the hospital, waited the whole night. I mean, from 2 a.m. on, they waited the whole night for me, um, and it, which was incredible. So that made me feel better that I at least had parents that I trusted and, and felt a part of the family with right by my side. So I felt like I was in good hands, and I realized it was broken in four places, and I needed hardware put in. So it was kind of like, there's no waiting around. Let's get after it, and got the surgery done, and that was that. It was 
it was a four month recovery versus a six month based off of just like the immediate attention. Um, but yeah, I mean, in the moment you're kind of like, you're kind of just going through it and, and riding the wave, doing what they tell you to do. And then it was afterwards when I, I had to evaluate and call my coach again and be like, Hey, broke another leg. Um, that was where mentally, like once, once everything settled down and once the adrenaline rushed out of the body, then it was like, all right, this is real. Like it happened again, but it was another challenge that I needed to get through. And it wasn't easy by any means, like four months away from the sport that you love in another state. Like I stayed in Vermont cause I was going to school at the same time. So couldn't go to practice. I was on crutches for the majority of that time. And yeah, it was tough. It was really tough. I mean, that's a shout out to your, to, you know, your coach at Northeastern too. I mean, the fact that, you know, you went through two really tough injuries back to back and, you know, you explained the process just a little bit ago of, you know, there's only a certain amount of scholarships that are offered. And if you don't get it, you might be on a waiting list if somebody drops out or whatever. Um, so, you know, the fact that your coach really hung on to you during that process is, you know, pretty admirable um, in, in a sense of really helping you, you know, recover, you know, not only physically, but mentally knowing that you still have a home at, at, at Northeastern. Um, but then you go to Northeastern and you kind of run into a little bit of, of more bad luck, um, you know, in right when you go to start playing again and you have a couple another years of, of bad luck. And again, I think this kind of just tells you a story of, you know, going through things and you mentioned positive outlook and that just, I can tell that's the type of person you are just talking to you. Um, you know, your first couple of years in Northeastern were a little rough. And again, I'll give you a little bit of a chance to talk about, you get to Boston, you're ready to go and, and then boom. <laughs> yeah. So, I, so we'll leave off. So I call my coach. He's like, Hey, if anyone can get through it, I know, you, I know you can, you've already done this once. Right. So, um, I was like, that was really reassuring from a coach who was going to be my coach for the next four years. And he was known for honoring scholarships such as that, but he had never, he had never seen this situation before. So this was new for him too. But, um, I recover from the second broken leg and I'm getting back in the gym and back after it. And I get to Northeastern healthy my freshman year and I start playing, practicing, and I have a really good class alongside of me. And obviously I joined an amazing team. Northeastern had a great team, but Kendall Coyne was also in my class and by far one of the best teammates and people that I've had the opportunity to play with um, and against now, but at the time with. So she was the type of teammate that definitely made you better and, and want to get better. And, and I tried to, on the ice, I'm a very competitive person, I would say, and I tried to compete with her and I tried to watch her and, and help my game just from watching her. So I tried to keep up with her. Right. And there was a week of practice where I just knew I wasn't feeling well. I knew something was going on. I didn't know what, but I tried my best to keep up with Kendall and I was close the majority of the times. And, and then this week of practice, I was slower and I was last to finish sometimes. And that wasn't like me. And I was like, what is going on? So days go by, I'm still feeling sluggish. And then um, I walk into the training room one day and my glands are just the size of mini golf balls. And my trainer looks at me and she was like, are you feeling okay? I was like, I don't know why I think like, I don't know what's going on, but I'm okay. 
And she's like, no, like we should go get you checked out. So I go to the, to the hospital nearby and get checked for mono and came back negative. So I continue practicing, playing, still not feeling great. Um, I still know something's wrong. So another week goes by and then my trainer's like, Charles, what is going on? I was like, I don't know. I have no idea. I have never felt like this before. So I go back and I get another test. Second mono test comes back negative. So nobody really knows what's going on, but they do know like I'm pale as a ghost. Like there was one point we had a team meal. Um, a few more days go by, we had a team meal. And I actually, freshman year, I lived above the cafeteria that we ate at for team meals. And I couldn't get out of bed. So one of my teammates calls me and was like, Chelsea, where are you? Like we have team meal and we were actually playing. I think we were playing a, a crosstown rival. So whether it was BC or BU, it was, we had a team breakfast. So that meant we were playing one of those teams later that day and couldn't move. And I was like, I'm in bed. Like, I, I don't know what's going on. So two of them came up to get me, dragged me down to the cafeteria and I get to the platform before the stairs to go down to the calf and I just, I couldn't do it. I felt like I was going to pass out, faint, whatever it was going through my head and went right back up to my room. And uh, my trainer was like, all right, that's it. We're going to take you one more time and see if we can run more tests or figure out what's going on. Maybe Lyme disease. They didn't know what it was, but so I get another test done and third test finally came back positive for mono. Wow. And when I tell you like mono was, <laughs> I don't, I don't know how to say this, but mono was probably worse than breaking both my legs just because I didn't know what the feeling was. I felt terrible on the ice. I felt terrible off the ice and I couldn't do anything about it. Right. Like I just had to rest. And so that was that, that was my freshman year. And I, I lost the rest of my season I couldn't declare a red shirt because I had stepped on the ice for too many games before that. And so freshman year was lost to mono. So that was the third year and it was pretty, it was pretty bad. <laughs> pretty painful. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and the amazing thing is, is that I think it speaks to your character too, a little bit to be able to, I mean, again, you're, you're fighting through mono. I mean, there's not too many people that are doing that at any level when they don't feel good you know, and you're going through it and you're, oh yeah, I'm fine. No problem. I'm okay. And, you know, and you're noticing a physical difference, but you know, here you are getting a third mono test before you figure it out. That's like getting false positives and all that for COVID now. I mean, it's kind of right. crazy. Um, yeah. But what's remarkable is, is, you know, and, and you go through a fourth year. So you go into your sophomore year and one of your broken leg injuries with all the hardware that's in there kind of acts up a little bit, right? And as a result of that, you, you end up missing your sophomore year as well at Northeastern. Yeah, no, you're, you're not wrong. So then I go, so because, so backtrack, because I kept playing on the mono without me noticing what was wrong, my spleen and liver were actually way too enlarged to even get cleared before. Oh man. I think my team doctor finally cleared me. I preferred to stay on campus in the summer. Just, I loved training in my, in our facilities. I loved our trainer. So it just made it easy. Took some summer classes, but, um, our team doctor, uh, he was like, your spleen and liver are not good. And so he didn't clear me to play. I think until, summer so probably like june or july i didn't even get the clear to start skating or really heavy lifting again until then so then i was back another like 
few months before testing came again for sophomore year. So once I got the clear, I was like, all right, it's rush mode again. Like I have to, I have to catch up, but then I also have to exceed what I was before. You know, I want to get good testing results and, and play. Like that was the ultimate goal was to play. And so come back sophomore year and I feel great. I feel like I have done that again for the fourth year in a row. Um, We'll talk about the mental state in a bit because it was not easy, but I did it and came back for my sophomore year and on the ice for it. This was like still coaches practices before coaches can actually come on with us. I was just skating around and every time I got off the ice, my left leg with the, the hardware in it just was acting up and it was the size of a balloon every single time I skated. So I go to my trainer at the time and I'm like, do we do stim? Do we just massage the tissue? Like, what do we do? And then she actually got another opinion from our team doctor and our team doctor was like, Charles, you gotta, you gotta go in for some more x-rays, MRIs and see what's going on. So I did just that. And they identified my last screw was actually, instead of going into my fibula, it was going down into my ankle bone. So that was causing ligament irritation, um, bone irritation and, he was like, you know what, just for your future, you got to get this out or you're not going to be happy down the road. So I, again, I went in for another surgery my sophomore year and it was at that point it was, it felt normal to me because it was the fourth year that something had happened. Right. So I go in for another surgery my sophomore year to get the hardware out completely. But when you get hardware out, a lot of people don't realize the bone still has to grow. Right. So the bone where the hardware was still has to fully fill in. So I, I actually lost the rest of my sophomore year to that as well. So that was the fourth year out. And uh, I can't tell you how many times I was like, you know what, is this a calling? Like maybe it's not meant to be anymore. Like maybe I hang up the skates, maybe I'm done with hockey and, and pursue school and figure out what I want to do post-college and whatnot. Do I move home and transfer to another school? And, maybe pursue lacrosse, maybe pursue swim or something, you know, I had no idea. But those were the thoughts that were going through my head. And, and then at the end of the day, I was like, no, Charles, like you've made it this far. You accomplished your goal of getting college scholarship to one of your top schools that you chose. And your family's been by your side, your friends have been by your side and your coaches have believed in you along the way. You got to do this for yourself. So at the end of the day, I told myself like I needed to do it for not only all of them, but for myself as well. And that's kind of what got me through it. Yeah. I mean, you were listening to this and like, you you know, you're (laughs) you're smiling, giggling, and I'm smiling a little bit, but like that mental aspect of going through that for four years, I I can't imagine. And I think that's truly what attracted me to get you on the show, because I just think that that story, you are really a motivation for young little girls out there. and, And I mean that that is, hearing that like that's unbelievable stuff and and you know i think that what you say and what you did is real powerful and to go through that and the best part of it is you return your junior year and you score two goals now what i was more impressed with is that you score two shorthanded goals so to me i don't know the type of player you are but i hear your first game back in four years you're on the penalty kill you score two shorthanded goals I mean, you must be a tough gritty player that 
you know, it was quick, block shots, tough. I mean, obviously tough what you've gone through. I mean, so talk about that moment of returning and, and, and put it on a show, really. I mean, let's be honest. Yeah, so I, I would say that um, the type of player I am is I work my, my butt off. I, that's what I do. I just, anything I can do to get better, I, I will do it, whether that's on the ice or off the ice. And I, I think the skill comes from doing things off the ice and getting some lessons here and there. But I think hard work is what works, you know, and I'm a hard worker at the end of the day. And um, I would say I'm a grinder. I'm a playmaker. Uh, after I broke both my legs, my game really switched from being I'm a quick player I would say I'm pretty fast and I think my game switched from being um a go-getter I'm still a go-getter by all means but I think I became more of a I'm a forward and I came more of a a defensive forward now so I think that's what kind of switched but um so PK right you got to play defense you got to block shots I love blocking shots like the adrenaline just goes and goes and I love it. So um, first game back junior year, my family actually flies out because they hadn't seen a game in four years, I guess. And so my whole family's there. And um, actually, we, we were playing RIT. So some of my friends were on RIT. So that was fun, too. But I just remember um, I got the opportunity to play on power, or on penalty kill, and I took full advantage of it. I I listened to what coach said about uh, during video. I listened to the game plan and, and what our opponents did on the power play. So it was really like the two goals that I got were really textbook plays. And it was just from the video that coach had done with us previously. And I just picked off a pass that, that they, they went every time, every time to the boards and I picked off a pass and, and went in. And then the second one, I just, if I remember, I got a puck in front of the net and popped it in. But it was just uh, hard work and, and listening to what the coaches had to say. And um, at, that point in, at that point in my life, I, after all the mental battles that I faced and all the adversity with my family in the stands, I was like, you know what, this is, this is why I continue to play and this is why I never gave up for this moment right here. For this moment right here, scoring two shorthanded goals, I got Hockey East Player of the Week that week, and I was like, you know what, this is, this is why I did that, and it was all worth it. It's awesome. So. I loved it. When I read that, I was like, that's awesome. I mean, you know, there's so many ways you could come back and just playing in your first game is, is, is an honor enough after you're not playing for four years. But the score two shorthanded goals, I loved it. I thought that was great. I think that exemplifies you to the T. So um, awesome stuff. But so, you know, obviously you got to play out the rest of your career at Northeastern and, and just being obviously from Boston, I know that Northeastern's a five-year school. So going through a couple of injuries, I know you, you've had, you had the option to redshirt and you kind of chose not to. Um, so I just, I, I, I'm just curious about that decision-making, knowing that you could have maybe got another year of hockey, but instead you kind of maybe chose to live life and be a student a little bit and enjoy Boston, I'm guessing. But I was just curious about that decision-making and what you could share with people about it. So Northeastern is a five-year school, and um, a lot of people don't know, but if you take a co-op program, it essentially takes the place of classes for a semester. So I think in order, if you take advantage of the co-op program, I think you have to complete two co-ops. It might have changed by now. I'm not sure, but 
at the time, I think you had to graduate with two co-ops if you, if you went that route. Um, and again, like I said, I, I'm very optimistic and positive, but if you can imagine for the four years that I was facing that, there were some battles and there were behind the scenes that, that only, I guess you would know if you were, you experienced it or you were there type of thing. My family, obviously I, I told them how I was feeling and my coaches knew, um, I was drained. I was mentally drained and exhausted. And, and I thought that maybe it was not the right decision to play my fifth year. So I declined my red shirt from my sophomore year and I was able to take advantage of the co-op program because of my broken legs. So it kind of like worked out in a way that I was out of hockey, but I still was able to find good of Northeastern and take advantage of that co-op program. So I got one co-op done when I was injured one of the years and then fast forward, declined my red shirt. So my fifth year at Northeastern, I actually was still on campus. Um, I don't recall if I was doing my co-op that year or not, or if I was just finishing up the rest of my classes, but I wasn't playing. I was still friends with my teammates, still, still really good friends with my coaches at the time. Like they had been there for me every step of the way and still had a really good relationship with all the staff, all the admin. Um, I was president of the athletes. So I was still, I was still there. I was still around, but I just wasn't on the team. Right. And so it was different. I mean, I, I had more time for myself and more time to explore Boston and, and get to know more people that I maybe wasn't able to meet along the way because of sports and we were traveling every weekend and whatnot. So I was able to live just a, a student's life um, versus a student athlete's life. And it was, it was wild. I mean, you really learn that playing college sports is a full-time job. In addition to taking classes, it is a full-time job and you miss a lot. You do miss a lot. And I loved my fifth year, but I will say that it made me realize how much I miss hockey. And so I think it was good. I think it was really, it was a blessing in disguise that I didn't accept the red shirt because it made me realize I miss the team aspect. I miss having the sisters have my back. I miss training for something. I missed the purpose that training gave me, right? Like you train to perform better. You perform better on the ice. Like it's a good feeling, right? So it was all a circle and it all tied back to me just missing the game that, that brought me to the East coast and that I loved playing. So universe like works out in a weird way. Um, I decided that I was going to pursue a master's at Northeastern for the double Husky and, and work at the university uh, within the athletics department. I accepted a position to work um, in the events and operations department and get my master's. And then, excuse me, all of a sudden, I get a call from the professional coach at the time of the Canadian Women's Hockey League, the Boston Blades. And he actually was recruiting me to play at UNH before I committed to Northeastern. So he knew who I was prior to my injuries. Um, and he was like, Hey, um, I know you're still in the area because some of my friends were on the team actually. And I don't know if it was word of mouth or what, but he basically offered me a spot on the team. And 
it was a tough decision, but I decided to play. So I came out of quote unquote retirement and and played, signed my first pro contract with the Boston Blades. And it was, aside from like, I mean, every year you kind of think it's like the best year, right? But the Boston Blades was some of the best years of my life playing hockey. I mean, talk about signing a professional contract. <laughs> like, I mean, you sign a professional contract, you sign the dotted line. I mean, what, what do you do after that? Like, what did you, like, are you texting everybody, like taking pictures of your contract? I mean, I think that's just cool. I mean, I mean, that's cool. It's real cool. Um, but you played, you played, you know, for the Boston Blades. And I know you guys had about three seasons. You played about three seasons and then the league somewhat folded, right? Um, and all of a sudden the league that you loved, you played on, the league doesn't exist anymore. Talk about that next move you made after that. And this is where I think, again, it's really cool, like what you end up jumping into and what you, you play for more and more now, uh, maybe than you did before as far as playing in the Canadian league. So, uh, so we get a, we get an email one day and it's from our commissioner at the time. And she was like, Hey, um, league call Sunday night at 8 PM, um, mandatory. So we're all like, this is postseason. So we're all like, okay, maybe it's news for like the next season. We, we didn't know, you know, we didn't, we didn't think anything of it. Not what we expected, but we got on the call and, uh, the commissioner, tells us that our league is, you know, um, stopping operations. And we're like, oh, my gosh. Like, everyone was blindsided, like blindsided. Nobody had any idea this was coming. So you can imagine, like, everyone's heads are spinning, and we're like, wait, what? Like, and remind you, like, we play – I mean, I'm fortunate enough to play alongside with and against the best players in the world. Like, I'm playing with – gold medalists, silver medalists, Olympians every single day. And it's the coolest experience that I can, that I can ask for. But so myself and all of them are, we're all like, what is going on? Right? Like they, they have Olympics to train for. They have national camps to train for. They're on the national teams that they need to keep training for. And so everything's questionable. Everything's up in the air, but finally um, we get more information that, that the professional women's hockey players association, um, is going to be formed and all 200 of all 200 plus of us were, we're going to join forces to fight for a sustainable professional women's hockey league. And so what that means is that a lot of people don't know, but we all work full time on the side. So yeah, we play at the highest level, but we also work full time jobs on the side. And that's, that's tough. That's really tough to balance when you are, going to practice at 10 p.m. at night because we all work full time until 5, 6 p.m. and then and then traffic and that's the only ice time we can get, right? So so we have to balance full-time job, uh, professional hockey. We don't have a facility to leave our equipment in. Um, we have terrible practice time slots. We get home at one in the morning to then wake up for our normal day again at you know whatever time you get up to go to work. 7 p.m. So a lot of people don't know that, but what we're fighting for uh, with the PWHPA is a sustainable professional league so that we can play hockey and we can play at the highest level and, and get a paycheck for, for playing at the highest level and, and what we deserve. So we're, 
we're currently fighting for that and um i'm loving every second of it i think it's it's for the right reason i think it's the right time to do so right like i i love the idea of younger girls growing up having a vision to play professional hockey you know i think that's so cool so to be a part of the the foundation and the building blocks for that has been unbelievable and uh we have our first our first showcase our first games this upcoming weekend in new york so super exciting and um i just can't say enough about playing at this level with the best players in the world it's just unbelievable yeah i mean you brought it up so we'll talk about it i mean madison square garden you guys are playing in madison square garden i mean talk about how cool that is. I mean, just in general, a cool aspect of playing in such a legendary uh, arena that, that has brought a lot of sports memories. I mean, talk about how far you guys have come in such a short time to be having it. And, and I saw it's televised on the NHL network. So uh, Sunday, I believe. So uh, I'm super excited about watching it and, but giving you the opportunity to talk about, it. I mean, it's awesome. Yeah. So we, um, so we have showcases along the way and obviously we're in a global pandemic, but we're trying to make the most of it. And the New York Rangers actually were the first NHL team to step in and announce that they were going to partner with us and support one of these showcases and, and games for us. So um, we got COVID testing today. It's Tuesday, right? It's Tuesday, I think. Uh, I don't even know. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Tuesday. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> we got COVID testing today for, for New York and, uh, we've been quarantined now for a week, so we're we're following all protocol that we have to, and um, we're gonna have practice and testing again on Friday, and then we bus after that to New York. And uh, while following all COVID protocol and restrictions and the Rangers protocol and restrictions, um, yeah, we're gonna be playing at the Garden this weekend, and I think we're making history, right? And it's gonna be broadcasted on NHL Network and Sportsnet, so. If you're available, everyone should tune in. But um, super exciting. We're playing the Minnesota region and obviously amazing players on both teams. So it's going to be an exciting game to watch. Yeah, for sure. I'm super excited about it. Uh, we'll definitely PR it for you guys all over social media. That will be a lot of fun. Um, you know, you brought up some of the inequalities of, of, you know, boys and girls hockey. I mean, I was even reading some stuff that you got to buy your own tape. Um, you know, you mentioned the, the really tough ice times and, you know, I'm sure there's not, you know, especially in this area anyways, with, with ice time and everything else, it's not the best times you get on ice time, you know, and you're maybe having to travel to a rink that's a half hour, 40 minutes away on top of it, you know, so you're not even counting the commute back and forth of maybe an hour, an hour plus, um, you know, so it's amazing that you have a full-time job and, and that you're able to, to be a professional athlete and to balance both of them. Again, I keep coming back to what we said at the beginning of this, but just the determined, you know, mentally tough athlete. And that's, I think that's you. I mean, that is really, you're like textbook definition of it. Um, so talk a little bit about, the message that, you know, you have a lot of power, you know, I think athletes in general have a lot of power, especially professional athletes and having their platform, but talk about the example that, you know, you're looking to set. I guess I'll ask you this question in two parts. One, just for the young little girls out there. I mean, how important is it to you for the mission that you stand for and the person that you are that, you know, what does it mean to you that these girls look up to you and that you're a great role model for them? 
And then the second part of this question I'll ask you is, where do you see this league in 10 years? Where do you see yourself as far as being a part of this maybe 10 years down the road and what you hope it becomes? Um, so the first question really hits home because that's why we're doing it. We're doing it so that younger girls can look up to us and, and eventually, like I keep saying, have a league to play in post-college and while training for the Olympics and they don't have to work a second job, you know, they could obviously work part-time if you want to, but um, having a sustainable league to play in, that's what, that's what we're fighting for. And, and I think playing for younger girls uh, and having them look up to us as role models is, that's one thing that keeps me playing for sure. Um, you know, I'm 28 now. Uh, my family's on the West coast. I, I could be moving home, but I'm staying to play and I'm staying to fight for this equality because of that. And um, there's a story that I can tell you that really hit home for me um, with one of the younger girls that plays hockey. And, uh, and it just made me realize like why I'm doing this and really confirm my decision to stick with playing professional hockey in these uncertain times. Um, so if you want me to elaborate on that, I can. Yes, please. I was going to ask you. So this is great. I love it. Go for it. Yeah. So um, our first showcase last year, uh, the first year of the PWHPA, our first showcase was in Toronto. And rewind a little bit. We had gotten a team message at some point during the season that um, there was a player in the Toronto area who had suffered from a broken leg and she wanted some advice and um, was wondering if any of us could reach out and maybe help her out with how to overcome this injury and, and uncertainty and whatnot. And like the light bulb immediately switched on top of my head. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like, of course I'm going to reach out. So I reached out to this young player and, and her family. And I was, I sent a message along the lines of, Hey, um, I've been in your shoes before. I know exactly what it feels like. And I basically listed all the mental battles she might be facing and ways to overcome them. And that I ended it with that. I was always there to chat if she needed me and if she needed to stay in touch and get more advice along the way, I was always there. So, um, we, this young fan and I developed, a. I would say a strong relationship just from that uh, interaction and encounter. And, and so she had reached out to me when the rosters came out for this first showcase in Toronto and she saw that I was on team coin and she saw when I played and she was like, Hey Charles, uh, my mom and I are going to be at your games this weekend and we'd love to meet you after one of them. And I mean, that message alone, just my heart melted and I was like, Oh, absolutely. I can't wait for this. And so I messaged back and I was like, yeah, of course, after the game, after we get off the ice, um, I'll bring you down in the tunnel and I'll meet you guys and have a conversation and chat and get to know each other a little bit more or whatever. And so um, game ended and I, I think I'm one of the last off the ice for what I think I was talking to a, a friend on the other team and I'm getting off the ice and then I just knew um, there was a there was a young girl and, and a fan or, and her mom standing there waiting. And I got off the ice and I knew it was them. And it was really sweet. And at that moment, I was like, this is exactly why we're doing this, you know, like for for us to be looked up 
up to and as role models and and to fight for a sustainable league for these young girls in the future and it just reminded me why I was doing it and it just I think that's a perfect example of of why us players continue to fight for this yeah I think it's amazing you know I think it's you know, I'm a fifth grade teacher, right? It's like a second grader walks by my room. They're like, oh, Mr. P. And I feel like the man. So I can't even imagine like in a professional level where, you know, a little girl and a mom are just anxious to see you. You know, they're excited to see you. And even though like you're the, you're the athlete, right? Like you're just as nervous and anxious to see them too, because you're, you know, you're so excited that uh, you guys just have such a positive relationship. So that that's cool. That's real cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, go but ahead. yeah. I mean, and then where I see this going in the next 10 years, I'm very optimistic about it. I mean, I think it's huge that the Rangers stepped in that, um, and for us to be able to play at Madison Square Garden this weekend. And the Blackhawks stepped in not too long after. The Maple Leafs followed their lead. And so I think it's going to be a domino effect of, of more and more NHL teams stepping in and supporting us and supporting our cause and our fight for a sustainable league. Um, I do see a league. Uh, starting in the next 10 years it it might even start before then and I'm hopeful that it's going to start in the next couple years actually but whether I'm still playing or not I don't know what that looks like I'm you know like I'm not trying to look too far ahead as far as retiring or or whatnot but um, I want to stay involved as much as I can so whether that is me playing or maybe me uh, helping helping out on the management side of things uh, I will I will always be a part of the PWHPA in any way that I can or the new league that forms. I will always be a part of in some way. Yeah. I could see you being like a total ambassador of it. You know, I think you'll have a great story and as your career keeps going better and better things are going to happen. And yeah, I could totally see that for you. Um, talk about your message to, to little girls out there, girl athletes, not just hockey players, but just girl athletes in general. I mean, what's your message to them as far as, you know, bettering their, their athletic career and, and training and, and all of that. What's your advice to them on taking those steps to, to be a college athlete and to even be a professional athlete down the road? Yeah, I would say that um, I think the biggest thing is, is to really embrace the journey and the struggles. And that's, that's tough to hear sometimes. And, and a lot of people are going to be like, uh, what a you know like that's hard and it is hard it, it is really hard to see past that but I would strongly suggest that any adversity or difficulty that comes your way really embrace the struggles because at the end of the day the struggles and the adversity is what's going to take you from here to here and whether that's performance whether that's um I guess whether that's character whether that's just uh, bettering you as a person, you know what a perspective on life, it's gonna <clears throat> take you from, from the, from one level to the next level, uh, just by embracing that and changing your perspective on, on seeing the good of that, right? Like it's gonna be, it's gonna be tough in the moment and whether or not you, you go through an injury or not, or, or any other adversity that comes your way, it's not going to be easy. And I'll tell you that right now, it's not at all. But if you can, if you can flip your mindset to being like, all right, it is what it is. I'm facing this. I can't change it now. Let's power through and, and do anything I can to, to become better and overcome that and get to the next step again. 
it's gonna it's gonna be so much better and your recovery is gonna be so much faster because you're you can't wait to get to that point again so i would i would really suggest embracing any struggle or adversity that comes your way because at the end of the day i think people grow from mistakes they go they grow from hardships they grow from any sort of adversity and and that's what makes you a better person a better a better athlete and that's what's going to get you from one level to the next so um embrace it have fun with it when it stops when it stops becoming enjoyable that's when you know it's time for change i think and and that's kind of i think that was part of the mental battle for me is when i was like i'm not enjoying this like i am not enjoying the struggle of this but then when i switched it and i was like oh like this is just part of the process of like better is to come right like i had no idea i was going to sign a pro contract but i embraced the journey along the way and here i am right so you gotta have fun with it along the way and embrace it and you know what just just live life ride the wave that's what i say i'm obviously a california girl but I don't think you should take anything too serious at all. Just have fun with it. I love it. That That is a true West Coaster right there. I love it. And it's great advice. It really is, you know, and I think for you, you could have all the things in the world to say about injury and, and, and having a negative, you know, reaction to it. And you never did. And it's built you to who you are today. It's built your character. It's been, built your mental yeah. toughness and, and who you are. So I think that's great advice. Who do you look up to? You know, who are some of the people, maybe athletes that you admire growing up or even as you were playing in high school and college as, as far as, you know, athletes go? Um, so growing up in California, I really didn't know much about hockey at all. And but there was there were a few female players that I really looked up to. Um, one of them being Angela Ruggiero. She's from a small town right by me. So both California girls that um, have have started playing boys hockey and have made it to a high level of women's hockey. So um, along the way, she was definitely a role model of mine. But then another really important, um, I would say, mentor along the way was Jessica Kazumi. She's now the University of Vermont's um, coach. And she is also from a town close to my, to where I grew up. And uh, she was in the national program growing up a few different national championship teams and, and whatnot. And she was somebody that I really tried to model my game after. And I modeled my, my nutrition plan after I modeled my training plan after she kind of took me under her wing and we'd, we'd go on the ice for private lessons. And so she was a really big influence in my hockey career. So huge shout out to her, um, further down the road when I, obviously started pursuing that college scholarship and the opportunity to play D1 and then pro hockey. I find ways to look up to my teammates as much as I can, because you know what, like you can learn so much from playing alongside them. And I play with, like I said, I'm fortunate enough to play with some of the best players in the world. And it's such an honor, but Kendall Coyne was, like I said previously, one of the best teammates that I've played with on and off the ice. She's just one of those teammates that makes you better. And um, so I look up to her. I look up to my teammates now that I play with. Uh, you can always learn something. So those are a few of the most influential people for sure. But you could, like I said, I, I mean, I don't want to be a broken record, but like I strongly suggest 
learning and observing from your teammates and and watching what works for them maybe it doesn't work for you but you can learn little tools along the way that are like huh this is cool so yeah it, there's and, and you mentioned it earlier there's there's nothing better than learning from things that are a little bit tougher or learning from things that you make mistakes on learning from things that you know that are adversity and and you know the kind of put that all together and, and put that entire package together and being able to you know conduct yourself as a player be a role model for everybody i mean awesome stuff i love it uh the last thing i want to ask you before we jump into our last segment which is our two-minute drill um Talk about the sacrifice. You alluded to it. I mean, you have a full-time job on top of playing professional hockey. I mean, talk about the sacrifices that you maybe have to make as a person a little bit. I mean, COVID obviously being an example, probably lifestyles changed a lot to play professional hockey. But, um, you know, talk about, you know, just, just life in general, how things have changed and um, things that you've kind of, you know, have gone through, I guess, during this time period. Um, so – if you decide to be an elite athlete, you have to make so many sacrifices along the way. And I, I talked about it a little bit previously when I mentioned that in high school, like you, you miss out a, a lot of social events. Like I only went to one prom. I only went to a couple school dances and you just really have to make sacrifices along the way if you want to train at that level. Um, so that's, that's youth days growing up. But I, I guess at this point in time, everyone's experiencing a difficult time right now we're obviously in a global pandemic it's not easy for anyone but I think that again perspective shift right like we obviously had to take some time off because of the pandemic and we weren't allowed to play we weren't allowed to train and and whatnot but we train up in New Hampshire right now and just just perspective switch on the fact that we are able to train and play right now is everything right like I'm very grateful that we have ice time available for us, that we have a weekly practice slot at when, on Wednesday nights, you know? So you got to look, I mean, it's one day a week, but we've been able to play against some of the boys teams up there. And, and I think you have to find the good in that. Right. And, and I think there's, there's good to be found in this pandemic. I know, I know that's going to sound tough hearing, but I think everyone can find some good, whether that's, working remotely and, and being able to spend time with your family, right? A lot of people have spent more time with their families. Um, I volunteer at a puppy shelter every week and just to be able to see these puppies go, go home every single week, like that's amazing. So that's good, right? Like the pandemic has brought a lot of people, dogs and puppies. And so I think that's a silly example, but it's so true, right? So, so true. I think I think there's something to be found um, in this pandemic that's good. And I think you really just have to find it and cherish it and hold on to it until we all get through this because we're all in this together. We really are. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, and, and, and I want to thank you for coming on today. We're going to jump into our two-minute uh, two drill segment here, which is a lot of fun. I'm just going to fire some rapid-fire questions at you um, about pertaining to your sport. And, um, you know, I do get a booth review. I get to throw a red flag if I want you to explain something a little bit more or vice versa. If you want to explain your answer a little bit more, I, I give the guests the, the option to do so as well. So let me set my timer, and, and here we go. Biggest victory as a player? Biggest game you've ever won? Oh, I mean, easily the two Beanpot Championships that we won at Northeastern, like, hands down. I, I was kind of banking on you saying that. So my follow-up question is, which Beanpot was better? 
first one or the second one? Wow, that's I, I haven't been asked that question before, but that's a that's a tough question. I mean, different different sweet spots, right? Like winning the first one, that was the first bean pot in, in school history in a long time. I, I forget when it dated back to, but so that was amazing. And then but then the second year in a row, it's like, oh, we're defending the title now. So that's interesting. I don't know. I mean, different. They're different. So I don't know if I could say one was better than the, than the other, honestly. Very fair. Very fair. Very good answer. Um, breakaway, what's your move? What's your move you're going to put on a goalie? Are you ready for this? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a five hole. That's it? That's all? I, I was like waiting for you to say you stop cold and take a, a little rifle at them, a slap shot right in front of them or something. No, yeah, no, five no, hole. no, 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 no. Every time, every time. I love it. I love it. Um, the goalies catch on, which my goalies in practice and, and whatnot would catch on. Then I would, I would mix in a little like uh, fake front and then to the left and then backhand top shelf. So as I'm going right, I, I pull it backhand to the top left. But that's only if they catch on to my five hole. So you bait them kind of, you kind of bait them to move a little bit and then you just slide it right. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, Biggest goal you've ever scored. Biggest goal I've ever scored. Wow. Um, This dates back a while ago, but I would say that um, when I was playing boys hockey growing up, we were in Colorado for a tournament and we were playing, I think we were playing the number one seed. This was for the championship and we were the underdogs for sure, but we went into overtime and again, coach drew up a, a face off for the last, like, I think 10 seconds of the game. We we're in the, in the ozone. And he was like, all right, I played, um, I played on the wing. My twin was the center. So we played on the same line and, and he was like, all right, Charles goes to the middle of the net. Uh, Chad, win the face-off, get it to your sister, and then in. Like, that's how he drew it up. And my brother and I did just that. And we scored the game winner in OT to win the championship. So that was, that was really special. It was really fun. That's cool. I love it. I love it. Who's your favorite NHL player right now? Oh, man. Um, I would say um, Andrei Kopitar from the Kings. Okay. I – I love watching him play. Yeah. I figured you were going to give me a King. So are you, if Kings and Bruins are playing each other in the Stanley cup, who are you rooting for? Kings. Kings. No all the way. Yeah. No <laughs> well, you, I mean, think about it. What? 11, the Bruins won 12, the Kings won. I think 13, the Bruins went back and then no. 14, the Kings. Uh, won, right? No, it was uh, Chicago. Yeah. Chicago and beat them. Right. In that. And then, and then Kings. Yeah. And then Kings won again. So. You had a nice, yeah. He's won a couple years in a row. I love it. That's great. You must have a nice, like, three, four-year run there. Yeah. Um, Funniest teammate you have? (laughs) Can it be a past teammate? Absolutely. All right. The funniest teammate I've had is is hands down Nicole Giannino. I don't know if you'll know names, but I played with her on the Blades. She played at Holy Cross, but – I met her on the blades. Um, we're lifelong friends now. She's one of my best friends, but just if you ever need a laugh, just uh, message Gino and she'll definitely treat you to a nice laugh. She's, she's so hilarious. She's so funny. 
I love it. I love it. Uh, Last question I have for you here. Who has a more accurate shot, you or your brother? My brother, I think. Yeah. And he played played at Tufts, right? He played at Tufts, yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but um, he – oh, my brother is so talented, very talented. Um, He's got an unbelievable shot. He he has one of the hardest shots I've ever seen, so I would definitely say Awesome. All right. You survived the two minute drill. You're, you're good. Um, I want to thank you for coming on today. Um, I, you know, I really appreciate you reaching back out to me and, you know, I think you told a tremendous story today. I think you are a a true role model for young girls out there. You know, I have a two year old daughter who's twin. Um, and, and it's nice for her to have, have women like you to look up to and, you know, hopefully 10 years down the road, as we talked about before, there's a league and there's a lot of teams and, you know, girls like her and other girls can, you know, aspire to, to be like the Chelsea Goldbergs of the world. Right. So, uh, you know, I really appreciate you coming on and, and thank you so much. Yeah, no, this has been amazing. I had a lot of fun and I appreciate you taking the time to listen to my story and let me share my story. Absolutely. So, you know, down the road, I'd love to have you on again, but we will all be rooting for you on Sunday again, NHL network. What time's the game? Um, that I need to confirm. Uh, I don't okay. know if that's released yet, but okay. uh, as soon as it is, I'll let you know for sure. All right, cool. We'll definitely PR it from our end and, uh, good luck. Enjoy, enjoy the moment and, uh, stay healthy, please stay healthy. <laughs> I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing everything I can. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Well, from beyond podcast, I'm your host, Anthony Petrellis, Chelsea Goldberg. Thank you guys. Good night.